see everybody. We're in the, the second week of a series called Gratitude. And um, I'll tell you one funny story. I, I'm a writer, but when I wanted to do the series Gratitude, I thought, man, this is perfect because uh, it's got the word attitude right in it. It's got the word attitude right in the word gratitude, and I'm going to be able to talk about how important our attitude is. Turns out that is not how you spell gratitude. It turned into a very clever play on words. We added an extra T. I know Pastor Brittany last week said it was on purpose. It was on purpose after I realized that's not how you spell it. So uh, it, it, it turned into something clever. The Lord took something that the enemy meant for evil, my misspelling of a word, and turned it into something good. That's how the Lord works. We get a clever title from this because, you know, gratitude is not just a moment, right? Thanksgiving is, is a great holiday. I absolutely love it. Uh, I, I've heard some people say this before that, you know, technically it's probably one of our most godly holidays, right? There's, there's, there's not this idea, uh, which I'm not against giving gifts. My family loves giving gifts. But, but without the, the idea of getting gifts like at Christmas, you know, there's not even any room for us to, to get into that mode of, well, I hope I get something good. This is what I want. This is what I want. No, it's just about giving thanks for what we have, right? And I love that. So I hope you take some time this November to give thanks this week in the middle of the hustle, the middle of, of the, the, the family coming, the friends coming, all the planning. Take at least some time, get along with the Lord, and give thanks for what you have. I'm going to talk about that in the message today and next week, how important that is, what happens when we do it. In, uh, before I get into that, though, I do have something that is not in my notes that I want to share about. So uh, just for our, our, our own notes, this, I want this to stay in, in, the, um, in the live stream and in the podcast audio as well. But we were praying this morning in our morning prayer time. And uh, I, I'm, the word was, somebody said, I'm believing for something. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to stay standing. I'm, I'm going to stay standing. I'm going to keep believing it, even though it feels like I'm not going to see the breakthrough. And that reminded me of the story in the Bible of the children of Israel. I know that we all know this. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And Moses, the deliverer, led them out of Egypt. Man, the Lord sent a plague of darkness. He sent a plague of locusts against the Egyptians. He sent a plague of frogs. He sent uh, the angel of death that took the firstborn of every house that did not have the physical blood of a lamb over their doorpost. Okay, so that, that was what the, the miracles that the Lord did to free the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now, at the same time this was happening in Egypt, within Egypt, there was a neighborhood called the land of Goshen. That is where the children of Israel lived. That's where the Hebrew people lived. You want to talk about the miraculous. It was a miracle that all the water turned to blood in Egypt. However, another miracle is that it didn't happen in Egypt, in the neighborhood called the land of Goshen, that locusts and frogs and, and, and plagues of all these things came against Egypt, but in the land of Goshen, it wasn't touched. That when the angel of death took the firstborn in Egypt, none of the firstborn in the land of Goshen were taken. When all of Egypt was dark, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. There was light 
in the land of Goshen. It was miraculous. And, and the first thing I want to say is no matter how bad things get in the world, you as a believer live in a spiritual place like the land of Goshen, where when things are coming against the world, when things are, when the economy's rocky or when anything else happens, you live in a place that is filled with promise, the promise of the Lord, not the promise of the world. So remember that, first of all, when things are going on around you, encourage yourself by saying, hey, I live in the land of Goshen. I see there's a plague. I see there's, there's war. I see there's rumors of war. However, I live in the land of Goshen, and I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's the first thing I want to say that's good news. The second thing I want to say is back to this, this, the person who gave this testimony this morning that I'm, I'm believing for something. I'm believing for breakthrough, and I haven't seen it. I'm going to remain standing. How many of you will say right now you're believing for breakthrough in any area? Let's see your hands. It could be health. It could be finances. It could just be with a loved one. Believe him for breakthrough, all right? So if you are believing for breakthrough, especially if you feel like I have been waiting, I have been uh, doing all these things the right way, I've been doing what the Lord says to do, and I still haven't seen it, let me encourage you with this word. This is prophetic word for our church. When the children of Israel got to the promised land, do you remember what happened? After all these miracles, after they saw all these miracles come against Egypt, yet not against them, after they walked through the desert and followed a cloud in the day and a fire by night, after they wanted bread, uh, they wanted food, and it fell from heaven at night, they wanted water and it came out of a rock, right? They, they had people come against them and nations come against them and the Lord fought these battles for them and overtook these nations, Right? After all of that, they get to the very edge of the promised land. I mean the edge. Like they were standing on, on I-85 right there after the Belmont exit. They were about to cross over into the land, right? This is like we are about to cross over into Charlotte. They are that close. And they set up camp and they send out these 12 spies. The two spies that remembered their testimony, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, hey, there's giants, but we can take them. I mean, actual physical giants. That wasn't just a metaphor. There were giants in the land. They said, there are giants, but we can take them. The other 10 said this. They said, no, we can't. Joshua and Caleb are crazy. And then they used their imagination for some pretty negative stuff. They said, we looked like grasshoppers compared to these guys. And this is the important part. And that's what they thought, too. Let me ask you a question. How do these 10 spies know what those giants were thinking? They said, that's what they thought, too. They looked at us, and they saw grasshoppers. Well, you know what? They didn't get to go into the promised land. They were on the edge of their promise. They didn't stay standing. They didn't keep moving forward, and they turned around backwards. And not only did it take them 40 more years to get there, everybody in that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness and didn't get to walk into that promise. But 40 years later, when they were back on the edge of that promise, they sent spies in. The spies ended up at a house of a prostitute named Rahab. She gave them shelter, and she said, I know who you are. And then she says something profound. Some people don't put it together because it's multiple chapters, multiple books later after the first time they left the promised land. But here's what Rahab said. She goes, we know who you are. We know how your God brought you out of the land of Egypt. We know how he defeated these armies for you. We know about this. And when you showed up 40 years earlier, we were terrified because we knew that God had given you this land. And all you had to do was cross our borders and take it. So remember what they said 40 years earlier. 
In their minds, they thought we were grasshoppers. No. In their minds, they were shaken in their boots because they saw the children of God standing at the edge of the promise. And they said, oh, I'm, I'm terrified, right? But that's what the enemy does, right? He wants to put that terror, uh, terror on us. He wants to make us afraid when really the enemy's the one that has something to be afraid of. The enemy's the one who has to fear us. They didn't remember their own testimony, but Rahab did, right? Everybody in the land did. All right, this is the last thing I'm going to say before I, I do one thing. We're going to have one uh, announcement in between this and my actual message, right? But this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. This is like a precursor message I felt very strongly about sharing with you guys because here's, 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 the, here's the point of this. Don't quit. Keep standing. Keep standing. Paul said fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight because if you don't quit, you win. The only way you lose a good fight is if you quit. Just don't quit. Keep going. Keep standing. When you've stood all you could, keep standing. When you're on the board, walk through even if it looks like there's giants in the land they are shaking because you're the one entering with authority not them because you're a child of God because you have a promise because you have a covenant do you remember the Carmen song Satan bite the dust who remembers this put your hands up Satan bite the dust pretty cheesy video pretty funny there's demons there's puppet devils and uh, Carmen goes in like a western outlaw and he says to Satan he's like he, he's singing to all these demons. He's like, I represent a whole new breed of Christians of the day. I can sing the whole song for you if you'd like. I'm authorized and deputized to blow you clean away. I got a weapon with two bullets. It overcomes all sin and crud. Do you remember what the bullets were? Yeah. He says, one bullet is called the word of my testimony. And he goes, Pow. and he goes, the other one's called the blood. And he shoots that one. He goes, how are you feeling now, devil? And the devil says, I'm feeling mighty low, right? But those two bullets are the word of his testimony, the word of your testimony, and the blood. Listen, the blood is something you have that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve it. You got the blood. Are you covered by the blood in here? Let me see your hands. All right. So in your weapon right now, you got the blood of the lamb. You didn't put that one there. But there's another bullet you got to pull the trigger on, and that's the word of your testimony. And here's the thing. You had all these giants, all these people in this promised land that was promised to the Hebrew, pulling the trigger on the children of Israel's testimony, yet they were just sitting there with the safety on, right? The gun was loaded, but they weren't pulling the trigger. The enemy was terrified. They said, all they got to do is pull the trigger and we're done for. But they sat there on the edge of the promised land and didn't pull the trigger on their weapon called the word of their testimony. But the ones who remembered it were shaking in their boots. Keep that in mind. You got a testimony. You got a powerful word. It can start with thanksgiving. That's a good segue into this message. So just remember that. If you're on the edge of your promise, don't quit. Stay standing. Keep going. You got bullets and you got weapons that the enemy doesn't have. You got the authority. They don't. And then go Google Carmen, Satan Bite the Dust, if you've never seen it, and watch it this afternoon and crack up laughing at all this 19, early 90s production and uh, co costumes. It's basically like if Jim Hansen and the Muppet Babies made a, a video about uh, devils and angels and stuff. It's really funny, all right? So, Father, we thank you for everything that's happened this morning already. Thank you for, for the words you've already given, for the time in your presence through worship and for uh, what you're doing through Laney and Devon with this ministry. And we're so grateful for all this. And thank you that your word is going to be planted in our hearts now and it's going to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. 
All right, so I've already talked a little bit about gratitude, and I already spoke prophetically about keep standing. I want you to remember that. I'm going to jump into uh, this week two message of this gratitude series that I'm going to keep reminding you is all about attitude. It's not just one moment of saying I'm thankful, right? Sometimes gratitude, when we get into other mindsets, whether it's because we have faced a need and it, for sometimes we look at our life and all we can see is the need, but I'm telling you, if we shift our focus to God's supply over our need, uh, we will not just be thankful when we see the need met, we'll just live a life of gratitude, a life of thanksgiving. Your attitude has so much much more to do with you walking in victory than you might think. All I know is that I've seen a lot of people in life who stand around waiting on God to change things and have a horrible attitude in the meantime, right? That is blocking the Lord from working in your life in so many cases. Your attitude is what's holding you back from victory, not God, not His Word. His word is already the victory that you're waiting for. Jesus has already done the work and completed it. Why am I not seeing victory in certain areas of my life? I'm telling you, it can go back in a lot of cases to the attitude you're walking around with, right? It is a philosophy to apply the word to your life rather than anything else, right? You can start with uh, the philosophy we've all encountered, we can all think of as optimism versus pessimism, right? Lainey's ministry that she just shared is called glass-filled life, all right? There are some people that look at this glass that's filled with water and they think what? Well, it's half empty. Others look at it and they think it's half full. Those are philosophies. Do I have a pessimistic philosophy in life or an optimistic philosophy in life? Okay, I'm just giving you that as an example. I'm not saying as a believer you should be optimistic or pessimistic. What I'm saying is as a believer, your philosophy should be based on what the Word says. What does the Word say about your supply? Does the Word say that your supply is limited to what you can go out and make happen? Does the Word say that your supply is limited to what you see in your bank account? Does the Word say that your supply of patience is all that patience you have in the flesh that runs out as soon as somebody starts getting on your nerves? Or does the Word say that you have the patience that Jesus walked around with? Does the Word say about, uh, about being kind? Well, I can be kind, but i got to speak my mind. Or does the Word just say, actually, you have the ability to meet everybody and meet every situation with kindness? What is your philosophy? What is your philosophy? If your philosophy is based on the Word, it will lead you to a lifestyle and an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude every time. And that, so many times, is the missing element of your breakthrough. I already spoke about the children of Israel. Had they, on the edge of the Promised Land, began to think back over what everything the Lord did for them, instead of looking at these giants and saying, they're going to take us out. I'm telling you, that story would have ended differently. That story would have ended differently. Man, they would have walked right in, they'd have taken it, and we'd be talking about something different right now. We'd be talking about when they went in and took it right away, had their attitudes been different. But they were grumbling, complaining people. I don't know if you've studied their history, but after they got set free from Egypt, as soon as they left, they started saying things like, well, you know what, Moses, we're hungry. At least we had food in Egypt. They, lit, they said, let's go back and be slaves because at least we'll have food. 
And Moses said, you want food? Here's some food. And all of a sudden, God sent manna from heaven. They got food. And you know what they said? Well, you know what goes good with this bread? It wasn't technically bread. It looked like bread. It said it tasted kind of like honey, right? So it was some type of bread. They're like, you know what goes good with bread, Lord? I mean, you could have supplied us a little meat to go with this bread. I mean, it was just miraculously showing up. And they complained again. And this is one of my favorite parts. The Lord sent quail. And it said they had so much quail, they ate so much quail, that it started to come out of their noses. In other words, they gorged themselves on quail and ate a little too much and got a little bit sick, right? So, but every time the Lord did something for these people, they complained. How many, we can fall into this same trap. We can fall into this same trap. Uh, Lisa and I, until four years ago, lived in Charlotte. And we worked here at the church, and our kids went to school here in Gastonia, and we'd leave our house in Charlotte in the morning, about 7 o'clock or so. We'd drop the kids off at school, we'd come to church, and if we had any sort of evening event, we were not able to go home, because if we drove home to Charlotte, there is no way we were making it back in time through 5 o'clock traffic. So when we had evening events, which was probably five out of seven days of the week, We'd leave our house at 7 a.m. and we'd get home with our two small kids about 9.30 or 10 o'clock p.m. every night. Now, for a while, that was just fine. For a long time, it was fine. But let me tell y'all, eventually, the grace lifted. And it was exhausting. And it was tiring. And we were killing time at some of y'all's houses during the day, at my mom's house during the day. Sometimes we'd go to Target and just kill an hour at Target. And that is usually expensive because you find all kinds of things except for what you went in for. You never get that thing. You have to go back the next day for the thing you forgot the day before, right? So we were just in Gastonia and it was exhausting. Well, we got through a miracle situation, just ended up with our house here in Gastonia. Perfect location, perfect house for us. And we used to say things like, if I could just go home in between all this stuff, I don't think I'd be so exhausted at night. If I could just go home and sit on the couch for an hour, go home and rest for two hours before these events, it would fix our entire life. We moved to Gastonia, and six months into living in our new house, we left the house one morning, took the kids to school, got home, went to church, forgot something, had to go back home, came back to church with that thing we forgot, ate some lunch, stopped by the house to let the dog out, got back in the car, came back to church. That afternoon, I got home and Lisa said, hey, we forgot this at the store. And I said, I have had to get in my car and leave this house six times today. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm staying right here. We can have it delivered. I'm not leaving this house. I've been here and gone six times today. And Lisa goes, exactly what we prayed for for five years. You're complaining about the exact thing we were believing for for half a decade. And I was sitting there complaining about it. Man, I'm telling you, if you think hard enough, you'll remember something that you were praying for. You received it and now you're complaining about it. And look, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, let's recognize it when we act dumb. Let's laugh at ourselves and say, all right, that was dumb. I've been praying for this. I'm sorry. That's called repentance. I repent. Sit and frustrated about the very thing I prayed for. Doing the very thing I prayed for. We're just as silly as the children of Israel, but we got no excuse. We got the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. They didn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. They physically had the Holy Spirit on the outside, in a cloud by day and a fire by night, leading them through the desert. 
We are filled with the Holy Spirit, yet we fall into the same traps they fell into. But when we can turn it around, when we can remember, this is what I prayed for. Or let's just, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit even further out. Let's remember where we're all living. Let's remember that sometimes. Let's remember that when we wake up in the morning, we don't have to go looking for water that's fresh and clean. It is a miracle that you walked to your sink this morning and turned the water on and had fresh, at least as fresh as it can be water. I, I still like tap water. My joke is that when you drink tap water, it's like local honey. It just gets you immune to all the local stuff, especially when a little piece of toilet paper comes out, right? You just, you keep, you just gotta keep drinking that tap water. You will be immune to everything. <laughs> Here's my point. Even if it came out a little bit dirty, it is a miracle that you turned on your water and you could choose if you want it hot or cold. Lisa and I have friends, literal friends that we know in Nicaragua that do not have that same, they don't have that same uh, benefit that we do. Now, a lot of these places, because of ambassadors, they can walk outside of their front door to the middle of the village and get fresh water right there. But even that, you're not walking to the middle of your village. You don't have to walk to the middle of your neighborhood to get some fresh water or to use the communal restroom. I mean, we got it made so good. I saw somebody say that, I'm not saying there's no poverty out there. I know there's poverty out there. I know there's people suffering. But I saw a scientist talking about that right now in the world, there is less poverty than there ever has been in the history of the world. There is more wealth right now in the general population's hands than there has ever been in the history of the world. Now, wealth isn't always measured in dollars and cents. We're talking about fresh water. We're talking about food in the refrigerator. We're talking about even something like heat and air, right? When it's hot in the summer and when it's cold in the winter. We have so much to be thankful for, and we can start at the most basic level. We can wake up in the morning and turn on the faucet and say, thank you, Lord. I don't have to have fresh water, but somehow you've supplied fresh water for me. Thank you. It is an attitude. And when your attitude is filled with thankfulness backwards and forwards, I'm telling you, this is something you can write down. You are primed for breakthrough. It is like priming the pump. I turned on my leaf blower for the first time this year about three or four weeks ago. And you know what I did? I put some gasoline in it. And what did I do? I primed the pump. Right? Getting that air out, pushing that gas to where it needs to be. And once that pump has been primed about eight to ten times, then I can pull the line and I can start the engine and it is primed for breakthrough. All of a sudden the engine starts rumbling. I got some movement. The engine starts rumbling. I got some air coming out and I'm cleaning the yard up. Do you want to be primed for breakthrough? Gratitude and thankfulness is like priming the pump. But you don't got to sit there and think, okay, 10 things I'm going to be grateful for. That's a great exercise. You should do that. But also, it should just be your attitude at all times. No matter what you're going through, no matter what, where you live, you can find something to be grateful for. And if you are still being stubborn and you're saying, well, not me, you don't know my situation. Listen, if you are saved, if you are bought with the price filled with the Holy Spirit, then you got something right there. It is a free gift.
that you don't have to have money for, that you can't earn with any type of good behavior or working hard enough for it. It is a free gift anybody can accept. And I do believe about everybody in here has accepted that. So if you can't be thankful for running water and things like that, at least stop and say, thank you, Lord, that you saved me and you didn't have to. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me your blood and bought me with the price, even though you didn't have to. The more real that becomes to you, the more grateful and thankful you will walk in. I love defining things, especially things I already know the definition to. I, I, I mean that because sometimes within the definitions you can hear something or, or get a new idea of, of what something means. But, you know, thankfulness is, is like the outward expression or even an inward expression of praise, right? Praise and thanksgiving are, are kind of interchangeable. Praise is an expression of thanksgiving. Thankfulness and being thankful is an expression of praise. The word praise means, according to the dictionary, to express warm approval or admiration of, to express one's respect and gratitude. When you are grateful, you are literally praising the Lord. When you have an attitude that is an attitude of thankfulness. Your very attitude, the way you think, the way you're processing thoughts is literal praise. It's literal praise and thanksgiving. And the word says that we enter the courts of God with praise and thanksgiving. This is what I'm saying. You don't have to leave the courts of God. You don't have to leave his presence when you go to work. You don't have to leave his courts when you go home after church. You don't have to leave his presence when you walk into the restaurant you're eating at. You don't have to leave his presence wherever you go. You can take this special place in his presence with you through praise and through thanksgiving. And when it's more than just a moment, when it's the way you think, when it's the way you process things, it's not even something you're going to put down and pick back up when you remember. It's just something you take with you. It's just something that's always there. And then all of a sudden you start processing things different, right? You start processing things different. When a trial or a tribulation comes against you, you're going to process this thing with, man, this is a pretty major thing coming against me. I sure am glad I'm not alone in having to face it. I sure am glad I got God on my side. I sure am glad I got the Holy Spirit inside me, giving me guidance through this hard thing. And then when it really becomes real to you, you're going to be like James and you're going to say, ooh, I actually count this as joy because through this trial, I'm actually going to have a chance to, to, get my, to get my joy flowing. Through this trial, I'm going to have a chance to get my patience and my endurance uh, worked out, right? Listen, going to the gym is not always fun, right? It's not always fun. Like, it don't feel great some mornings when you're running on the treadmill, lifting weights, sitting on those machines. But I'm not doing the gym because it feels good. I'm doing the gym because the results of going through the morning at the gym is helping my body endure things. It's helping my body stay strong as I get older. It's helping my mind stay sharp, right? Instead of wandering off, it's, it's helping with things even though in the moment it doesn't always feel great. When we go through things in life, we can count them as joy when we live with this attitude of thanksgiving. Amen. And I'm not saying you have to go through that stuff. The Bible says is that if we applied the word to our life in every area, we wouldn't have to go through those trials because the word 
can actually mature us if we allow it to. The Word can teach us every lesson that we would learn through some of these hard things. The Word can direct us away from the choices that we make sometimes that lead to those hard moments, right? It's not the Lord leading us to the hard moments. It's just the nature of the world. Sometimes things get hard, right? It's just the nature of, of, of not being, uh, not being uh, in, in heaven with the Lord one day as things come against you. And you know what? God is so good that when those things come against us, if we face them the proper way, it will build up patience in us. It'll build up endurance in us. And that's good. Not only that, when we live a life of thanksgiving and praise, we are fulfilling the greatest thing we've ever been called to. In Revelation 4.11, it says that humans, us, you and I, were created for God's pleasure. God made Adam and Eve because he wanted a companion. He wanted somebody who was like him he could relate to. It brought him pleasure to walk with them. You know, I, I, I love saying this, but I think about it a lot. You know, if you ask people what the greatest thing they could do as, as a believer is, some would say heal the sick, which that's a great thing. Some would say bring people into the kingdom of God. That's a great thing. Preach the gospel. That's a great thing. These are all good things. But it's not the reason we were created. Think about this. When Adam and Eve were created, there was no sick to heal. There was nobody to go preach the gospel to. There was none of that. They were created for one purpose, to bring the Lord pleasure. Man, when our lives are become lifestyles of thanksgiving and praise, it brings the Lord pleasure. Pleasure. It's like giving Him the greatest gift you could ever give Him. It's, it's, it gets God excited. The Bible says in Zephaniah, he rejoices over us with singing. He rejoices over us with spinning and dancing. God likes your company. He likes your company more than you think he likes your company. He wants your company on your best day. He wants your company on your worst day. He just wants you. He wants you to be in his presence and you get there through praise and through thanksgiving. This is two great benefits I've already told you about of walking in a lifestyle of praise and thanksgiving. One is it gets you primed for breakthrough. Two is you're fulfilling the greatest thing God's ever called you to, the reason you were created. Back to the breakthrough. In the book of Jonah, you know this one from Sunday school, Jonah and the well, right? It wasn't really a well, it was a big fish that swallowed him. God told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. Tell them to repent. I just was talking about this to our discipleship class, but this is one of my favorite things in the Bible. Talk about a complainer. Just some of you this will relate to. Jonah did not like the Ninevites, right? He wasn't a big fan. And God said, I want you to go preach to them. Tell them to repent. Tell them to turn to me. And Jonah got mad, right? He said, I don't want to do that. That's why he got in the boat and went the other way. And the storm came, and the people said, why is this storm coming against us? And Jonah said, it's my fault. I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. You need to throw me overboard, and then the storm will go away. So they did it, and the storm went away. And a big fish came and swallowed Jonah. And there's this moment when, when it, it's a little bit later, but there's this moment when it's kind of like, this is my paraphrase, but God's like, why didn't you just go do it? Why didn't you just go preach? And eventually he does. But the Lord's like, why didn't you just go tell them to repent? And Jonah's mad. And he says, because I know you. You're slow to anger and you're quick to love. And if they repented, you wouldn't destroy them. And God's like, yeah, you're right. And Jonah's mad about it. Jonah's like, I don't, I, I'm mad because you're so good. I'm mad because you're forgiving. This is even before Jesus. Man, that's a wake up call for some people, right? Jonah's getting all mad because God is loving, slow to anger, quick to love. 
But I love this part. This is my main point. It's from Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. From the belly of the fish, this is what Jonah says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. Have you ever been in a place that it looks like it's the end? I mean, is there a better example? Jonah was being digested currently when he said, I will fulfill my vows. Being digested, this is like, this is like nerd moment. This is like Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit, right? This is, he is, the juices are flowing. Like he is seeing other fish and wildlife passing him. He is somehow holding on for dear life in the belly of this fish. But he is currently being digested by a being larger than him. And he has the faith to say, I will fulfill my vows. There are some of us in this room right now, like we talked about earlier, and you're in the belly of the well. You're in the belly of the fish. You're looking around and you're like, there's no way out. I'm at the end. I don't even know if I can stand any longer. Listen to what Jonah did. He sang a song of praise and he said, I will fulfill my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Remember what I told you? Praise and a lifestyle of thanksgiving is like priming you for breakthrough. Do you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Brittany taught the message breakthrough before the breakthrough? This is like your breakthrough before the breakthrough. When you are able in a dire situation to lift a song of praise and still be grateful, all of a sudden the faith in you begins to rise and you look around while you're being digested by all the stuff around you and you have the faith on the inside of you to declare, I will fulfill my vows. You're my salvation. You're getting me out of this mess. You're the only one who can do it. And then all of a sudden, there's breakthrough. And it might be messy. It might look like you're getting spit up on the shore, but it's all right. You just get up, brush yourself off, clean it all up, and keep going. That's what happened with Jonah. Don't be afraid of the mess. And just lift up a song of praise. Let that faith in you rise. It's like priming the pump, right? Thank you, Lord, that you are my salvation. I'm pushing it, pushing that little button. Then all of a sudden, faith begins to rise. It's like pulling that lever, like pulling the, the, the line and getting that engine going. But that's what this is. Same thing happened in the New Testament with Paul and Silas. I don't have time to read this whole text, but if you read Acts chapter 16, what you'll read about is Paul and Silas in jail. You know the story. They were chained. They started singing a song of praise. They started worshiping. Not only did their chains fall off, everybody's chains fell off. But just like Jonah, you are my salvation. You alone are the one that can get me out of this. Even without chains, they didn't stand up and have a prison riot and run out. No, they all just sat there in the same prison, just without chains on. Because you know what rose up in their heart? Faith. I don't even need to get myself out of this mess, Lord. I can just sit right here in this dark prison, get a little R&R. I'm sure they weren't getting that in the prison, but uh, I can stay right here and you can do the work. And you know what? The Lord did it. The Lord got them out. He pulled them out on the other side. And because they didn't just get up and run out on their own, that jailer, him and his whole family got saved. I love it. When you praise, when your life is that of gratitude, it's going to rub off on other people. Breakthrough. Yeah. You're going to find breakthrough, right? But it's even going to rub off on other people. 
How would you like to be the person carrying this contagious disease called breakthrough? Disease is probably not the best word. Let's call it something else. Uh, how would you like to be the person carrying around the contagion called breakthrough? Be careful when you're around me. You might accidentally break through some of the stuff you're going through. Be careful when you get around me. Don't come to my house tonight unless you want some breakthrough. Some people will stay away because they like their mess. They like the attention they get when things go wrong. That's why a lot of things go wrong for some people. Ooh, I can do that. That's why some, some people take so many sick days. I, I'm, I've been guilty of this. I like it when somebody has to take care of me, right? Like, I need you to bring me some soup or I need you to do this or that. But you know what I don't like is being sick. So I'm going to choose to walk in that breakthrough. But how would you like to be the kind of person that people just get breakthrough when they're around you? It's contagious. An attitude of thankfulness. Can you, I mean, it's cont complaining is contagious. That's right. There's a lot of you right now, a lot of people, I'm not you, you guys are different, but there's a lot of people I could sit down with right now and I could say, hey, you know what happened to me the other day? I sat down with this person and man, they have made some bad mistakes in life and here's what's going on. And then man, I know this person's gonna jump right in. Oh, I know, you know how they treated me? You know what they did to me? And then I can trigger that complaining in people. I can trigger gossip in people, right? We can all do that. Yeah. We can trigger that. We can be contagious with our complaining. But you know what else can be contagious with? With our praise, our thanksgiving, and because of that, our breakthrough. Paul and Silas worshiped. They lift up praise and thanksgiving, and everybody else in that prison caught it. Amen. They all got free. The jailer and his family got saved. Your praise isn't only your breakthrough. It can be somebody else's. Amen. But it's not about just a moment of thank you, Jesus. It's a lifestyle. It has got to be in you every minute of the day. You've got to walk around. So I'm not going to leave you hanging with this. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to change your attitude, right? It's important. How many moms or dads have looked at their kids? I remember I saw last week's message. Pastor Brittany said this last week, too. You've looked at your kids before. He said, change the attitude, right? That's important, right? Change the attitude. I know she talked about it last week. I'm going to break down some practical ways starting next week, then we can change our attitudes. Now, when Lisa and I do marriage counseling and premarital counseling, one of the things we do in our sessions, this is a little insight for all of you, we do a practical principle and a spiritual principle every session. But at every session, I remind the couple, the same thing I'm gonna remind you of. When you're a believer, the secret is even the practical stuff is actually spiritual. It's all spiritual. There's one part of you as a believer that is more real than every other part of you, and that's your spirit, right? Your flesh will fade away, your flesh will go into the ground and decay one day, but the spirit on the inside of you is gonna live forever. If we can change our focus, instead of seeing the limited, temporal, carnal flesh right here and being focused on that, and change our focus to who we are in the spirit, man, it changes our entire lives for the better. It changes everything. So I'm going to talk about some very practical and some very spiritual ways we can change our attitude. The secret is, really, they're all spiritual. Even the practical stuff is spiritual. So that's starting next week. In the meantime, you can start to change your attitude by sometimes forcing those moments when you take a minute, stand still, and say, thank you, Lord, and really think about it. 
Use your mind and really think about that water tomorrow morning. I know that's the goofiest example, right? To think about the faucet with running water. But tomorrow morning or tonight, this afternoon, just really think about it. Really think about it. Start right there with the basics because what that does is that leads the way for other stuff, right? That leads the way to other stuff that we have taken for granted. But begin this week to change your entire attitude to one of thankfulness and gratitude. And number one, it primes you for breakthrough. So if you like notes and you like having numbered things and, and lists, changing your attitude to gratitude, thanksgiving, primes you for breakthrough at every turn and can be contagious to others for them to receive their breakthrough. And the next thing is it is literally fulfilling the very thing you are created to do. And you can walk around carrying the presence of God with you everywhere you go when you just shift to thanksgiving. It was the one thing the children of Israel lacked when they could have walked right into their promise. If they'd have just pulled the trigger on that weapon called the word of their testimony, then they could have walked right in and taken it. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to respond to the word with a few moments of worship. Then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up and pray with you. But let's all stand together as the band gets ready. As the band gets ready, I'm going to tell you one more thing and make one more point. There are a lot of people, and there's a lot of times you are tempted. Let's talk about Paul and Silas or Jonah. When the chains fall off, I'm going to praise you, Lord. When the chains fall off, I'm going to be so thankful. When this fish spits me up on the shore, I'm going to be so thankful to be out of this belly. When my bank account looks this way, boy, I'm going to be so thankful. When my job opens up and, and people finally see me for who I am and, and recognize the work I'm doing, man, I'm going to be so thankful. When I finally get that promotion, I'm going to be thankful. When my kid finally starts acting right, boy, I'm going to be thankful. When my spouse and me finally get through this hard season and we stop fighting every day, man, I'm going to be thankful. When this happens, I'm going to be thankful. That is a trap. The breakthrough didn't happen before the thanksgiving was raised in these stories. The breakthrough didn't happen before the praise was lifted up, right? You look at your situation if you'd like, but man, look at what the Lord has brought you through. Look what he's done in your life. Go back and rehearse the victories that you've walked in in the past out loud. If, if, if you're in a season right now where you've been sitting down with your spouse and talking about the, the negative things that are coming your way, make a change and today sit down and say, hey, before we talk about these things that need to be addressed, let's take a few minutes and think about all the times the Lord has gotten us through. Let's think about all the times we've had breakthrough over this marriage. Let's think about all the times this happened or that happened and let's praise the Lord for it because the same God that did that is going to get us through this. But you got to praise. You got to lift up that thanksgiving. You got to lift up your voice. It primes you for the most breakthrough you've ever had. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the breakthrough in our life that we can have on the inside before we see it on the outside. You are so good to us. We love you so much. 
We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your promises. We're grateful that where there seems to be no way, you are the God that makes a way every time. That from the belly of a fish, from the belly of a pit, even if we got ourselves into it, when we remember that you are our salvation and our salvation alone. You are the God who saves us. You are the God who is slow to anger and quick to love. That as our faith rises up within us, we will find more breakthrough on accident than we've ever found on purpose. We love you so much and we are grateful. Mm. Amen. Let's all just say... Let's put it into practice. Let's say thank you, Jesus, on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. One more time. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. All right, and here's a challenge for you. As we worship, we're going to respond to the word with a few minutes of worship. I want you, as you're worshiping, to even if it doesn't have to be out loud, but just in your heart, begin to thank God for, for specific things. Begin to think about specific things in your life that you are thankful for. And as we're worshiping, Lord, thank you for my family. As we're worshiping, thank you for what you're doing in my life right now. As we are worshiping, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Amen. Can you do that? I know you can. Well, let's worship for a few minutes, and then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up, and we will close with prayer agreement. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's worship.